Hi, you're listening to audio from Church of the Incarnation. If you'd like to find out more or donate to our ministry, please visit incarnationcfl.com. Well, we're starting a new series this morning. It's a seven-week series on the book of Hebrews, and that's the title of it right there. A Better Hope and a Steadfast Anchor. Talking about Hebrews, and here's what I want to say over and over again for seven weeks, that in and through the person of Jesus, beautiful Jesus, who we're going to get an amazing look at this morning. I mean, there's no way we can do every one of these verses from this passage in Hebrews this morning. I don't think I'm going to get past verse 3. It's just mind-boggling what we're going to see about Jesus. And and you're just going to hear me say this over and over again, that Jesus Christ is for you a better hope and a steadfast anchor. He's a better hope than anything you could possibly put your hope in, and He is the only thing that will anchor your heart in the midst of any storm, any trial, any wave. He He does not remove hardship. But he will place within you an anchor that will keep you solid even when the wind blows and the waves get huge. He's a better hope. He's a steadfast anchor. So I just want to ask you as we start, what do you hope in? Just think about it. What is the anchor of your heart? What dominates your dreams? Your goals? your aspirations, your desires, your thought life. Hey, if you want to know the answer to that, just look at your checkbook. All right? Usually, just just look at your check ledger. Usually that points to what you hope in. What are you hoping? And I'll say this to you, I believe that the human heart was meant to hope for something. There's something inside of all of us that longs to desire something, that's meant to just run after something. Now, I've been thinking about this all week, and I've been thinking, you know, addiction. I mean, there are so many people that struggle and suffer with addiction, and I'll think, I think that addiction is, is fundamentally misguided hope. It, it is a misdirected desire. It's not wrong to desire something. It's not wrong to just throw yourself at something, to run after something like nothing else. It just better be the right thing. Right? And, and what we're going to see in this beautiful book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the right thing. He's the right thing. He's the only thing that your heart will run after and actually find what it's looking for. He's steadfast hope. A sure anchor. So let's not waste any time. Let's get there. Hebrews 1, right? If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them. Episcopalians, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. One day we're just not going to have a bulletin. I'm going to mess with all y'all. And the, three, the three people here who brought their Bibles, acting Baptists, are going to know what we're talking about. Everybody else in the dark. There we go. I mean, let's, I would love for this church to have a cult where we have a, you know, it's like, who, we, we start not only bringing our Bibles, but it's like, who's got the biggest one? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Who's got one that's got notes sticking out everywhere and looks all messed up like you left it outside because you just read it all day long? All right, there we go. All right, so if you don't have your Bibles, it's in the bulletin as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Look at this. So beautiful. I'm just going to read the first few verses. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a son. The author starts to describe this son. We're going to hang out on some of these things. This son whom he appointed heir of all things. 
through whom he also created the worlds, who is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of his being. That's a beautiful Jesus, a better hope, a steadfast anchor. Let's back up and just think about these very first words. Long ago, God spoke. I mean, I've been thinking about that, and my mind is just blown by it the more I think about it. Like, we have a God who speaks. Like, think about how awesome that is. Uh, the God of the universe who speaks to you. Somebody's speaking in the back. I don't know what that is. We have a God who wants to communicate to you. He's not silent. He's not holding out on you. He wants to communicate His heart to you, and He's done it. Jesus, this text tells us, is God's final word. Look at this. Long ago, God spoke to our answers in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son. What the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that the person of Jesus is God's final word and God's exclamation point to everything he said before. The entire Old Testament, every law, every prophet, everything that God has spoken beforehand, his exclamation point and ending point to that, the final way that he speaks is through his son, Jesus. God must be pretty awesome. I mean, think about if you just think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is written over fourteen hundred years. I mean, let's just say generally from eighteen hundred BC to fourteen hundred BC, you got fourteen hundred years where God's speaking through the prophets. Your entire New Testament written within fifty years of Jesus' death. Something important happened with that guy. Right? The whole back half of your Bible written within 50 years of Jesus' death. And all the New Testament does is go back and comment on the Old Testament and say, that's about him, that's about him, that's about him, that's about him. He's the final word. Now, and I've been thinking about this a lot this week because I'm in a place where I'm thinking, oh God, I really want to hear your voice. I need you to speak to me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever get in that place where you're like, I don't feel like God said a word to me in years. God, hello. Where are you? Why aren't you speaking? And as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking those kind of things. And I think long ago God spoke, but in these last days he's spoken through his son. And the Holy Spirit just starts to flood my heart and saying, Tom, isn't it enough for you that I've given you my son? You're asking, oh God, why aren't you speaking to me? I just need an answer for this. I need direction for that. I need something for this. I need something for that. I need something for that. And Jesus is like, hey, isn't it enough to you that I've spoken over and over again? You've got four whole books, my very words to you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Have you memorized all those, Tom? Have you plumbed the depths of everything I've already said? How about paying attention to it? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Does that matter to you? Well, not really, God. I want a fresh word. I, I want to know what I should have for dinner, right? I want to know why this person's such a problem in my life. Does it matter to you that God's spoken through his son who lives three and a half years with nothing but problems? Every person he knew was a problem. And a couple of them killed him, right? And God's just like, Tom, I've, sp- I've spoken. You, I've spoken, and it's so unfair, for you to accuse me of not speaking to you when you've got an entire book that are my very words of life. Dive in. Dive in. And I just want to encourage somebody with that this morning. You might be in a place that's like, I don't feel like God said anything to me in forever. Open up the Gospels and eat. 
the living word of a God who speaks. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son, and his words are a steadfast anchor, an enduring hope. And look at what the author of Hebrews is going to tell us about this Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things. I just want to think about that for a minute. Jesus as heir of all things. Everything is his. Everything, the author of Hebrews says, is from him, to him, and for him. That means all of your stuff is his. All your plans, his. All your heartache, his. It all belongs to him. He's the heir of all things. All of your relationships, his. Your career, his. Your future, his. So let me ask you a question. Why are you holding that stuff out on him? Because for some reason, I think I'm a better steward of that stuff than the living God of the universe. Do I have any friends in the room? <laughs> right? That's insanity. Look, if that's true, if, if it's true that everything belongs to Jesus, then holding out on him is a serious illusion and, in fact, an escape from reality. To play this with your life, huh? Oh God, my stuff, my plans, my career, my future, you're not going to get a hold of this. That, that's, that is clinical insanity. It's absolutely not the way the world works. It's his whether you want it to be his or not. He controls it whether you want him to control it or not. You try and arm wrestle Jesus, he's going to beat you. To refuse him is to ignore plain reality. Everything belongs to him, including me, my stuff, my plans. He knows what to do with me better than I know what to do with myself. Think about this. I'm thinking about a quote from missionary Jim Elliott. This is so beautiful. Jim Elliott, this missionary from the 50s, from Wheaton College, I believe, who's a brilliant man, had life in front of him and decided to go and give his life to a tribe in Papua New Guinea. And just a few months after arriving there, he was killed at the end of a spear by tribal natives. And just before that happened, Jim says this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I mean, the whole world looking at him. It's like, you're a fool, man. You gave your life to Jesus. Yeah, he's worth it. He's worth, you gave your future to him. You gave your plans to him. You gave your future thriving to him. You gave your whole life. He's totally worth it. And it's, he's no fool who says, God, it all belongs to you. You know what you're doing with me. You know, what you're gonna you know what's going to happen with me. And the safest place I can be is just to continually throw myself at you. All my plans, all my dreams, all my stuff, all my vision, all my goals. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And it's foolish to not do that. Because you can't keep it anyway. You do that, you gain abundant life. So the author of Hebrews goes on. Long ago, God spoke. I love that. He speaks to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. And in these last days, he's spoken through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Look at this next one. Man, you can chew on this for a decade or two through whom he also created the worlds. 
Think about that. The author of Hebrews just told you that God created the planets. Do you believe that? Through Jesus. Jesus created the galaxies. The sun exists because of Jesus. The stars, they exist because of Jesus. Grasshoppers. Mosquitoes. You can thank Jesus for that. <laughs> Look at it. That's crazy. He, whom God appointed him heir of all things, through whom he created the worlds. This totally blows our cultural view of Jesus. It calls him a nice guy, a good teacher, some moral tribe scribe who had something good to say, who I can occasionally call on and listen to when I need something. Right? The Scripture particularly Hebrews 1, does not let us denigrate Jesus to the place of some nice guy moral teacher who occasionally has something to say to Christians who particularly think he's something special. No, he's co-creator with the Father who created all things and through, who th through whom all things exist. Now I'll just give you a C.S. Lewis quote. Some of you heard this from Mere Christianity. This is really awesome. C.S. Lewis says about this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And this is right where our culture is. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I can't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we cannot say. A man who was merely a man, yet said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You, can, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or he's a madman or something worth. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit on him and kill him, or you could fall at his feet and worship in his Lord. I love this. But let us not come to him with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he didn't intend to. Boy, those are fighting words right there, huh? It's good stuff. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Listen, through whom he created the worlds. And I want you to think about this. If Jesus knows how to make galaxies, he knows how to pay your rent. You think about the kind of petty, small things that we wonder whether God's able to control and whether he understands and realizes and knows and can do anything for us and through us. Oh God, what are you going to do about my rent? It's due tomorrow. If God creates galaxies, he knows exactly where you are, he knows what you're going through, and he has a solution. And let me tell you what the frustrating and wonderful solution is, that you would cast yourself upon him in every way and stop fighting him for control of your own life. Give it to him, because it's for him and through him and to him, and he's worthy of it. He knows how to manage you better than you do. I'm talking to myself here. All right? He's the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And I'm tempted to go on a tangent there, but... Okay, I'll do it. I remember in, uh, in, in Whitefish, Montana, I'm in a little tiny Episcopal church. Thankfully, there are only about 15 people in it. And I was the youth leader there, and we had a guest pe preacher. And he gets up on Sunday morning, and he starts 
talking about how Jesus is one way to God, just one among many, right? So, and he leans over to the pulpit, and he says, Don't, how arrogant would it be for you to think that you found the only way to God through the person of Jesus? And I'm thinking Hebrews 1. <laughs> Wait a second, the very exact imprint of God, the very reflection of his being, and I did a very unepiscopal thing, which I hope none of you ever do. I put my hand up during his sermon. <laughs> I did. And he just keeps talking on and on. I put my hand up, and, and finally he calls on me. I'm like, yeah. And this is exactly what I said. Like, sir, you're not a bad man, but you are wrong. We're, we're here today to worship Jesus as the exact imprint of God, the very essence of his being, the one who created all things and sustains all things, the one to whom and for whom and through whom is everything you are and everything we are and everything that will be. You're not a bad man, but you are wrong. And I'm telling you that there are tons of Christians that have denigrated Jesus as this kind of place of a nice guy, moral teacher, but who is far less than who Scripture says he is, who really isn't in control of your heart and life, who doesn't know what's happening with you, and who can't do anything about it. And I'm saying, lift him up. Lift him up in your heart to the place where he's all you got. He is your anchor. He's your hope. He's the only thing that's going to stabilize you. In the midst of a world that's going to continue to unravel. I mean, think about this. If, if he really does sustain all things, let me ask you the most arrogant and silly question. Will you dare to include yourself in that? I mean, I'm a professional Christian. And over and over again, I'm, I'm unwilling to include myself in this little line. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Even me, God? You're able to sustain me? Now here's what I'm not saying. Please do not hear this as some sort of self-help therapeutic deism whereby we have a God who sterilizes our life from all pain, suffering, and trial, and heartache. That is not the God we have. We have a God who sustains you through it with the anchor and hope of his presence. And oh my goodness, trust me, it could be worse than it is. And if you drive in to who these readers were in the book of Hebrews, all of them were living a life much worse than the ones most of us are experiencing. I mean, if you go back and you read commentaries and dictionaries and history about who these readers were, they were living in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, during a three or four year period in the mid-60s where Nero was lighting Christians on fire. And where professing faith and hope in Jesus very really would take you to meet him face to face in a short period of time. And you know what? That's not going to change for any of the readers of Hebrews. But what this book will do and what the truth of the first three verses will do will change your heart in the midst of it. In a way that, like a sailboat, when the wind starts blowing, you just... The harder the wind blows, the faster and straighter you go. And that's the last thing I want to turn you to. If you just look at the way this book starts to twist, I'm not sure why the lectionary skips us from chapter 1 to chapter 2, but it does. And I'm glad it does, because it ends on this point of frustrating uh, suffering and Jesus' presence in it. Chapter 2, verse 10, if you've got your Bibles, look at, listen to this. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, and he's talking about Jesus there, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, Perfect through suffering. Listen, you have a God who identifies with hardship. 
He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to hurt. He identifies with it in every way. And listen to what the book of Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 14, and then I'm done. It's not on your bulletins. This is the extended play version. Since therefore the, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared those things. He shared your suffering. He shared your humanity. He shared your trial. So that, listen, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's the thing the readers of this book feared the most, their own death, their own very sure death. If they placed their faith in Jesus, they knew they were headed there. They were going to get killed for it, and they knew it. And the author of Hebrews is saying he understands what it's like to fear that. He faced that biggest fear himself, and he conquered it. Listen. And set free, verse 15, those who all their lives were held in slavery by fearing death. Their biggest fear. God faced it and set you free from it. And I just want to ask you, what do you fear? I'm done. What do you fear? What's the biggest thing that you fear? And are, are you willing to, to have a Jesus that's so beautiful to you that he controls that thing, he understands that thing, he identifies with that thing, and he's able to sustain you even if you face that thing? That's a better hope than steadfast anchor. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can join us in person or online every Sunday at 9 a.m. Visit our website, incarnationcfl.com, to find out more.